0: The following message is brought to you by the Teaching and Preaching Ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Tonight, Galatians chapter 2, in the Word of God tonight. Trust you've had a good day. And I mentioned last night, tonight we're going to deal with provision. And uh, the message last night, we had a point that was called Transformation by the Spirit. Okay, so what's the basis? What is the provision for that Transformation. I find that when it comes to the truth that we're dealing with in a conference like this, sometimes we can get an intellectual understanding. And we know we've got to exercise our will and faith, and so we jump from the mind to the will without the affections being affected. In other words, we try to exercise faith without being convinced of what we've understood in our minds. And when you do that, it's not faith. It's wishful thinking. And that's why some people say, well, I tried this, it didn't work. <laughs> no, you've got to be convinced of the truth. Now, the Holy Spirit's the convincer. And so we need to allow the Spirit to convince us. That is the command of Romans 6, 11, that's dealing with the very same truth that we're going to look at tonight, when it says reckon. It's a, a word that grammatically is saying, allow yourself to be convinced of what God says is so. And friends, when you allow the Spirit of God to convince you, then it's the most natural thing in the world to respond in faith, that faith response. And so tonight, let's ask the Spirit of God to be our teacher. and Let's allow the Spirit of God to open the eyes of our understanding and convince us. So it's not just an intellectual exercise, but you're allowing the Spirit of God to convince you so that you have personalized the truth. Then we can respond in faith. And we'll deal with more of the access tomorrow night, but let's focus on the provision tonight. Galatians 2 and verse 20. hope you have your Bible. And the Apostle Paul here is uh, writing. And, of course, he's writing under inspiration. He's writing as a child of God. So if you're saved, regardless of how long you've been saved, regardless of how much you've grown or not grown, what he's saying here is true of you. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I. But Christ liveth, or lives in me. And the life which I now live, in the flesh, referring to the mortal body, I live, he says, by faith. Faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in the believer. I want to speak tonight on the Christ life. Shall we pray? Lord, I pray tonight that you'd open the eyes of our understanding. And Holy Spirit, would you do the convincing that only you can do? Lord, I would imagine for some, there already is intellectual understanding, but there's a need to be convinced. Ah, Spirit of God, bring that to pass tonight. Lord, for some, perhaps there needs to be an awakening to the truth to begin with. Bring that to pass. Lord, for all of us, deepen our understanding. Where needed, Lord, would you grant a watershed moment a turning point so that months from now there will be ongoing transformation by the Spirit. Oh, Lord, do tonight what man cannot do. Lord, thrill us with the possibility, the potential, the provision that is actually available for every child of God, even if it screams against our present experience. And so I plead the blood of Jesus to protect us from the attack of the enemy who seeks to lie about all this. Lord, would you demolish the lies may the truth come forward boldly lord jesus i claim our position in you at the throne far above the enemy and in your name through the victory you won at the cross through your blood i exercise your authority over the powers of darkness that would seek to hinder in this service tonight and trust you that that not be allowed at all all oh, lord would you breathe on us tonight may you be honored we thank you for it in jesus name amen Is it possible to go from being regularly defeated, surprised by victory, to being regularly victorious, surprised by defeat? You know, if words have meaning and if language has integrity, then according to this text of Scripture, the answer is yes, absolutely, that is possible. There's hope. This is what gripped the heart of Rosalind Goforth a hundred years ago when she and her husband were serving the Lord there in the country of China and what dedicated uh, missionaries they were. And uh, she was very much a part of her husband's uh, ministry there and she had a very energetic personality, but at times it was a snappy personality, if you know what I mean. And she'd get irritated and she was impatient and sometimes she'd just get quick-tempered and just get flat angry. And it got to the point that she chafed the Chinese workers, the believers that were around her, to the point... They didn't want to be around her. And it broke her heart. Here, she's the missionary. And the Chinese Christians didn't even want to be around her. And she longed for victory. She longed for it. But she knew not how to access that victory. Well, in the goodness and providence of God, some months later, when they were back in Canada, their country on a furlough, they were at a Bible conference, Niagara-on-the-Lake, and she heard Charles Trumbull preach. And there was something in that man's message that gripped her. So she went to the book table, and she bought a sermon by Charles Trumbull on Galatians 2.20. It's entitled, The Life That Wins. And later she was at home reading that very sermon uh, out loud to her family members. And in the sermon, Trumbull's real honest. He's transparent, and he gives his testimony how that for 25 years as a Christian worker, he was defeated. Oh, he said, others would have looked at me and said, my, what a fine example of a Christian leader. Look at all that he does. But he was honest enough to say, I knew there were issues down deep in the recesses of my heart that shouldn't be there. And even though there was all this activity of the motions of service, he said, I knew there was a lack of carrying power. Life was missing. And he went on his testimony to... Get to a truth that changed his life. And in that part of his testimony, God gripped Rosalind Goforth. This was the statement. Trumbull said, I finally came to realize that Jesus Christ is actually and literally in me. Now, friends, I'm sure he already understood that intellectually. But you know, you can know something and not know it. He said, I finally came to realize that Jesus Christ is actually and literally in me. And Rosalind was arrested by that. And she began to just chew on that statement repeatedly. I finally came to realize that Jesus Christ is actually and literally in me. And she said the more she thought about it, the more excited she got as she began to realize, wait a second, Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. Not just to take me to heaven, but to bring heaven to me. In other words, to bring uh, His deliverance, uh, His freeing power from sin to me now. He is an all-sufficient Savior. And the more she thought on the fact that that Jesus... That could deliver her right now from the present power of sin was already in her. I'm going to tell you something. She got excited. She began to depend on the reality that Christ was living in her. And I'm going to tell you, when that happened, her life began to change. I mean, she began to be transformed. It's called revival. She was experiencing life again. And it wasn't just a passing thing that went for two weeks and then she faded back. No. Months later, I love this part of the story. When she was back in China, The Chinese workers were so aware of the change that one of them, representing the rest of them, came and asked to see Jonathan privately and said, what has happened to Rosalind? (laughs) She's changed. She doesn't get mad at us anymore. She's not irritable anymore. What happened? In fact, the Chinese workers that didn't want to be around her anymore now all wanted to be around her. You know why? Because they wanted to be around Jesus. And friends, that is the Christ life. That is the reality of the Spirit-filled life, where the Spirit fills you with the life of Jesus Christ. And friends, that is the provision in essence. Now let's go into the detail of this particular text of Scripture. You see, since Christ lives in the believer, in you as a child of God, then you and I must by faith experience his victorious life. But what makes this possible? What are the details of the provision? I want us to see tonight from this text of Scripture four truths. Number one, crucifixion. Paul says here under inspiration, and it's true of you if you're saved, I am crucified with Christ. Okay, crucifixion. Now, crucifixion is all about death. Quite frankly, a gory death, but it's about death. So it says here, I am or I was crucified, or I have been crucified with Christ. Now that begs some questions, don't you think? So let's ask them. The first question is what part of you got killed? (laughs) If there's been a crucifixion, somebody died. And it says, I am crucified, or I have been crucified with Christ. So what part of us got crucified? What part of us died? What part of us got killed? I want you to think with me. Physical death is when your soul is separated from your body. That has not occurred for those in this audience. And, uh... Right now, we've got live bodies. That could become suspect if I preach too long tonight. But right now, we have live bodies in this audience. So the soul is still connected to the body. You know what that means? We're not talking about the soul or the body. There's only one part of you left that could be referenced here in this text. And that is your human spirit. This same phrase is articulated this way in Romans 6 and verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. All right, so here it says, I am crucified with Christ. But in Romans 6, 6, it gets specific and says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ. So your old man's not your dad. Your old man is your unregenerated human spirit. Because again, physical death is when the soul is separated from the body. That has not occurred. Okay, so the only part that that old man could be referring to is your unregenerated human spirit. Now, to help us understand this, uh, I want us to uh, go to uh, the PowerPoint here and get a, 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 a a, 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 a picture in our mind of what we're talking about. You see, we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. And so there we have it. In the unregenerated condition, uh, our, our center core, our human spirit that is unregenerated is there referenced as the old man. So that's the part that gets killed. Now, if death, if the essence of death is separation, then we have to ask a second question. What union is getting separated? So, let's understand this. Prior to salvation, in the immaterial part of us, not only is there this unregenerated human spirit, there is an old master. The sin principle. The old master of indwelling sin. What Romans 7 describes two times as sin which dwelleth in me. Now, listen carefully. We're not talking about sins, as is emphasized in Romans 1 through 5, actions, uh, thought, word, deed kind of stuff. We're talking about sin singular, which is what you find in Romans 6, 7, and 8, sin which dwells in us, okay, that's what's being pictured here in the unregenerated relationship Uh, or condition, you have a relationship in the immaterial part of you between your old man, your unregenerated human spirit, and that old master of indwelling sin. And notice, God's on the outside. So think with me, when the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we're dead in trespasses and sins. Don't get the idea of a corpse. Dead in trespasses and sins. The guy's reveling. What it means is that prior to salvation, because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God's on the outside. We are, as Ephesians says, alienated from the life of God. So you have God on the outside, but you're very much alive to sin. In fact, as you can see here, there's an overlap, and on purpose that's the way it's pictured here, because there's a relationship... Prior to salvation, you are joined to indwelling sin. So that means we're dead to God, but we're alive to sin. We're separated from God, alienated from the life of God, but we are actually connected or joined to indwelling sin. So that prior to salvation, we are in an awful relationship. We are shackled with chains to this old master, this task master of indwelling sin, and it taints everything that an unsaved person does. That's why the Bible says the plowing of the wicked is sin. Because the best efforts of unsaved people are done in union with indwelling sin, which causes all of it to fall short of the glory of God. All of it. It's tainted, it's defiled, that best, it's self-dependence that can only produce self-righteousness that God calls a filthy rag, Isaiah 64, that falls short of his glory, Romans 3. Everything an unsaved person does. And the only way out of that terrible relationship Is death separation but we can't do that on our own so that brings us to a third question who's the liberator notice that first phrase in our text says I am crucified what's the next two words with Christ Christ. you see the moment you believe on Jesus as your savior from sin and hell among many other great salvation truths and there are many of them At that very moment, the Spirit places you into Christ. You're in Him. And the moment you got placed into Him, now listen carefully, you got placed into His history. So when you get saved, not only do you get a new future, you get a new past. Let it sink in. When you got saved, you got placed into Christ. You got placed into His history, which means you got placed into His death. So there it is. At that moment, we are placed into his death. You see, it's not just that Christ died for our sins. Only he can do that, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. But Romans 6, 10 says this. Now let these words sink in. Jesus Christ died unto sin. Unto sin? That's different than for our sins. Romans 6, 10 says Jesus died unto sin once. Now that means there was a time when he had come into union with our sin. There's the cross. There's crucifixion day. There's 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon when the entire earth was darkened. There's that time in that darkness when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Think about it. That strong language. What was happening? Well, what was happening is that for the first time in all of eternity, God the Son was separated, that's death, from God the Father. Why? Because he was in union with us, with our sin. In fact, the sins of the entire human race, from the first Adam to the last human being that will ever live, that's why Jesus is called the last Adam. The whole conglomerate junk he came into contact with. But here's the beauty. Before he voluntarily gave up his spirit, he cried with a loud voice, It is finished! And he died unto sin once. And the moment you believed on him as your Savior, you were placed into him, placed into his history, therefore placed into his death. And at that moment, in the immaterial part of you that we're picturing here, there was a split. There was a cut. There was a separation. You died. You were crucified with Christ unto sin. Man, hallelujah. (laughs) Do you know that's an actual fact? Regardless of how you feel. There was a severance. There was a cut. You have been separated from that old master of indwelling sin. So the old master is no longer your master. Now... We'll see in a moment that the old master still operates, seeks to operate in your soul and body level. But what I want you to understand is that right there, there was a cut. You're no longer chained. You were unshackled. You were set free. You were freed from sin, Romans says. You were liberated. You got separated. That old master can come back and assert his power, but he has no more authority. You're not chained to him anymore. He is no longer your master. You were severed from indwelling sin. So, there's our first truth, crucifixion. Let's go to a second truth, creation. The text says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ. All right, so let's talk about this part of it, creation. Let's ask some parallel questions to the questions we asked on crucifixion. On crucifixion, the first question we asked was, what part of you got killed? So now let's ask, what part of you got raised? And the answer is, the part that got killed. (laughs) You see, when you were placed into Christ, you're placed into his history, therefore you're placed into his death, and you're placed into his resurrection. So you're raised with Christ, the new man, and at that moment, in that resurrection, where the old man dies with Christ and is raised the new man, there is the creation of new life. You see, that part of you is what we're talking about. So We're not even to the point yet of the Holy Spirit moving in. We're talking about the old man dies with Christ and is raised the new man. Now, I want you to think with me, that means the old man is gone forever. Now, the old master's still hanging around, though we're not chained to him. We'll see that in a moment. But the old man is gone forever. In other words, you cannot have an unregenerated spirit and a regenerated spirit in the same body. Do we see that? So the old man dies with Christ, he's raised the new man. Two uh, years ago, we dealt with this in a message where we talked about the real you. That part of you that's pictured there by that inner circle, that's the real you. This is the part that's called the new creation in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is the part that God says is all new. See, your body's not all new. You know, we're getting old and we're decrepit and everything else. And your soul's not all new. We think wrong, uh, you know, have wrong feelings, bad moods, and we make wrong choices tragically. So that's not all new. But the part that's all new is right there. And the reason it is, is according to 1 John 3, 9, that part of you is described by inspiration as God's seed, literally God's sperma. Do you know that when you got born again, something of God's very own nature was implanted into you? you know that nature is righteous and holy and loving and God? And that nature got implanted in you the day you got saved, and it's been there from that day to this, even on your worst day when you totally ignored it. But it was there. God's seed, God's nature was implanted into you. That's why Ephesians 4.24 says, Your new man is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. Do you know your new man is completely saved? (laughs) Has to be. It's God's nature implanted into you. Now, your soul is what is to be being saved. And that's what theologians call progressive sanctification. But you need to understand it only progresses when there's choices of faith. And it's greatly hindered when there's choices of unbelief. Your body's not saved at all. It won't be until it's glorified. So don't give it a chance. But your spirit is completely saved. There is this creation of new life, God's nature, implanted into you. That's the real you. So let's go to a second question. What union gets joined? You see, according to Romans 7, verse 4, we're raised with Christ so that we might be married, joined to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. So here we have it. God's no longer on the outside. God moves in. You see, there had to be a part of us made holy so the Holy One could move in. And He did move in. Now, I want you to think with me. God moved in. The spirit of Jesus, the spirit of the Father moves in. So no longer is God on the outside. You know, we saw in the other slide that we were dead to God, separated from God, and alive to sin, joined to sin, dead in trespasses and sins, chained to that old master. But now we've been freed through the cross from that old master. We've been unshackled. And so you can see here on the slide that that old master's still around, but there's, there's, there's a disconnect. We're separated from that old master, and God has moved in, so now we're dead to sin. See, that's what it means. I used to hear preachers talk about being dead to sin. I'm thinking, what do you mean dead to sin? I don't feel dead to sin. This is what it means. In the immaterial part of you, you got severed from that old master of indwelling sin. And so... You're dead to sin. You're alive to God. You're separated from indwelling sin. You're joined to the indwelling Christ. So I want you to think about this. The moment you got saved, there was a radical change. You see, you have been severed. The old relationship with indwelling sin has been forever severed. The new relationship with the indwelling Christ has been forever sealed. So not only is the new you, that real you, God's nature, and that's holy, now you've got God himself moving in. You talk about for provision, his name is Jesus. And I will tell you that the provision is perfect. It has to be. His name is Jesus. You see, there is a sinless provision. Now, I'm not teaching sinless perfectionism because, sadly... We're very imperfect at accessing the provision. But I'm telling you, friends, the provision is perfect. God's nature got implanted into you. That's righteous and holy. And then the Holy Spirit moved in. There's the fountain. So there can be a filling (laughs) and an overflowing. That's how it all works. So not only is there that creation of new life in the new man, there is the creation here of a new union, a new relationship. That old relationship with indwelling sin is forever severed. The new relationship with the indwelling Christ is forever sealed. So who's the life giver? Well, obviously, his name is Jesus. Now think, the Christian life, we often use the phrase, the Christian life, but we often misuse it. We use the Christian life to mean a certain set of doctrines and a certain set of moral actions. No, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a person, a life, and his name is Jesus. See, Jesus Christ is the Christian life himself, which means... No one can live the Christian life but Christ. But here's the good news. When you got saved, Christ, the Christian life himself, moved in to impart to you that very life so that you can live, yet not you, but Christ in you, the Christian life. You see, he moved in to live his life, not yours, That means this is not a matter of our best for him. That sounds so noble, but that's not what this is. This is his best in us. What a radical difference. Man, that's a fact. Let the Spirit of God convince you. That means that the Christian life is not a matter of imitating Christ. Because we can't not imitation, it's impartation. It's that divine life we talked about yesterday morning. When the Spirit imparts to you the very life of Jesus. That life that walked our planet 2,000 years ago. That life living in you. He's still walking the planet. And uh, what an amazing provision. Now, as we can see, there are two potential masters here. And uh, when we think about this, we have our will that's going to be involved. We'll say more about this here in a second. You can yield to the old master, which leads to a flesh dominance, or you can yield to the new master, which leads to a spirit dominance. In other words, God doesn't make it automatic. Now, the former relationship with that old master, when we were chained to him, demanded forced service. But in the new relationship with the new master, he doesn't force you. He beseeches you. He doesn't want robotics. He wants a love relationship that embraces his will, embraces his life, his power. What a difference. But we make the choice. And when we yield to the old master... There is a fleshly dominance, and when we yield to the new master, there is a spirit or spiritual or Holy Spirit dominance. Now, I want us to understand that this battle between the old master and the new master, you know, we, uh, there's an illustration that's been out for years. Maybe you've used it. If you have, don't feel bad. I used to use it as well. Part of it's actually helpful, but part of it I think is very harmful. The illustration goes like this. We talk about these two masters or what Galatians 5 puts it generally when it says the flesh lusts against the spirit. In other words, the flesh, where that old master seeks to operate, uh, uh, yearns against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So we are aware every day of our lives of a battle between these two masters. Are you, are you with me? A battle between our flesh and our spirit. Okay. And the illustration says it's like two dogs. Whichever one you feed the most or whichever one you favor the most, that's the one that wins. Now, the part of the illustration that's helpful is, yes, you and I obviously make choices, and that makes a radical difference. But the part of the illustration that I think is very harmful is that doing not in our mind's eye picture two dogs the same size. And just think about it. And I don't know what yours look like, but mine are big. The problem is they're both the same size. And if they're both the same size, that means they're equals. And if they're equals, then part of the time it's going to go this way, and part of the time it's going to go this way. And if you buy into that, you're set up for defeat before you ever get started. They're not equals. Now, I can't picture it accurately by any means in an you know, illustration like this. Obviously, I try to get, make this circle as big as we can make it compared to this circle. But going back to the two dogs, not even a chihuahua versus a rottweiler would give us an accurate picture. You know, chihuahuas are little dogs. They're yappy. Forgive me if you have one. (laughs) They make a lot of noise, but they're small. (laughs) But not even a chihuahua that can make a lot of noise compared to a Rottweiler gives us the right picture. Because on the one hand, yes, we got the flesh where that old master seeks to deceive and seeks to operate in the soul-body level. But on the other hand, we have the spirit part of our being. Now, you may ask, Well, is that your regenerated spirit, the new man? Or is that the Holy Spirit, the new master? And the answer is yes. You notice the dotted line. That is representing what we find in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Just like husband and wife, one flesh. Here you have regenerated spirit, Holy Spirit, one spirit. And friends... That spirit is the spirit of the risen Christ. Romans 7, 4, raised so that we might be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. So it's the triumphant Jesus who now sits on the throne, far above all principality and power. It is the spirit of the divine, conquering, victorious Jesus that moves in and joins our spirit. And friends, when we yield to him, when we trust in him, it's a done deal. The chihuahua of the flesh does not stand a chance. Now, if you take this diagram in your mind's eye and turn it flat, it would look like a line. Are you with me? <laughs> okay. How many of you remember slinkies? <laughs> this is really dating myself. Slinkies. I remember some when slinkies were new. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if you take this and turn it this way and lift up the outer edge by yielding to your flesh, it would look like the left side of this. You take the inner part and hold it up, then it looks like the picture on the right. Okay, so the carnal Christian is the guy who's yielding to the flesh. And so there's an old master dominance here. He's not our master, but when we yield to him, this is what it looks like. And got, what happens is, is who we really are in Christ gets hidden. You know, the Bible says in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you the hope of glory. When we walk in the flesh, God's glory is hidden. We rob God of his glory. When we make fleshly choices and we indulge the flesh and pamper the life. Remember what we saw yesterday morning in Galatians 5. The works of the flesh are manifest. In other words, this isn't foggy. No, they're evident. They're obvious. Adultery, fornication, that's sexual sin of any kind, uncleanness. That's all the junk and indiscretion and, and, and compromises that lead up to all the other stuff. And now, no, we can go. And God's saying, "Look, it's obvious. If that's what's going on, don't call yourself spirit led. There's no way. You're in the flesh, and you are veiling who you really are in Christ. Are you with me? But when you yield to the Spirit, now that inner part of us is held up to where God intended for it to be, and that part is ruling over the soul and the body. Now that brings us to our third truth: counteraction. We've seen crucifixion, creation. Now counteraction." You see, it says, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And friends, when that part is manifest, when that provision is manifest, as I said a moment ago, the chihuahua of the flesh doesn't stand a chance. In other words, the life of Christ overcomes anything before it. He said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's where we ended last night. He is the overcoming life. He is the provision to overcome the world. Whether it be the legalism, uh, worldly religion, or whether it be the license, worldly irreligion, Jesus is the one who overcomes the world. Romans 8, 2 puts it this way, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin. That old master and death that's positionally stated and provisionally stated practically romans eight thirteen says this if you through the spirit do put to death the deeds of the body he shall live why because you're accessing life himself you see counteraction is a word that we get from some of the writers that wrote articles in the fundamentals and what they mean by that is a greater law counteraction overcomes a lesser law for example In the physical realm, we are quite familiar with the law of gravity, a downward tendency toward planet Earth. (laughs) And there are greater laws that can overcome it, like the one I used the other day in getting here. It's called the law of aerodynamics and uh, so forth. But let's use another illustration. How about the law of hot air rising? Uh, To put it in non-scientific terms, which obviously hot air balloons are banking on. And so when a hot air balloon is filled with that hot air and it's ready to uh, have takeoff, when they unclip that rope, it just soars skyward. What's happening? Well, the law of hot air rising is counteracting and overcoming the law of gravity downward. It doesn't mean that the law of gravity is no longer there. It's still there. It's being counteracted. It's being overcome. And a child who's just learned about gravity might look at that balloon go up and say, wow, look at that. There's no more law of gravity. But no, there still is a law of gravity. It's just that a greater law is counteracting and overcoming a lesser law. Now, to help us understand this, I want you to imagine that you're going to take a hot air balloon ride. And so here you are, here's this balloon all filled up with the hot air, ready to go, time for you to step in the basket, so you do. And then they unclip that rope, and just in a moment, I mean, there's that whoosh as the balloon soars skyward. And when it does, you do, because you're in the basket. (laughs) And you're accessing the dynamics involved, and as that law of hot air rising, counteraction overcomes the law of gravity downward, you benefit from it because you're staying in the basket. Now, suppose you're taking the ride and it's a beautiful day and you're, you're enjoying uh, California and, and you're looking down and you see the church, you find your house, you're just enjoying all this. You look at your watch and say, wow, I've been in the air now for an hour. You know, never in my life have I been suspended in midair like this for 60 minutes, you know, you get a little cocky. I don't think the law of gravity has any more power for me and so you boldly step out of the basket. And as you plunge downward toward planet Earth, you realize, you know what? Uh, The law of gravity is still out there. So what's the key? Stay in the basket. Keep depending on the basket. Can I word it this way? Keep abiding in the basket. Why? Because every moment, not just some or even most, but literally every moment you depend on that basket, you access the dynamics involved, and as that law of hard air rising, counteraction overcomes the law of gravity downward, You benefit from it because you're staying in the basket. Now, let's make the illustration, the analogy, and I hope you're miles ahead of me. The law of sin is like the law of gravity. Constant downward tendency. Did you feel it today? Here's the good news. There's a greater law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's the greater law. In our illustration, the basket is parallel to Christ because we are commanded in John 15 to abide in Christ. To stay in the basket. And when you do, when you depend on Christ, His leadership, His power, as we talked about on Sunday, then what happens is you access the spiritual dynamics involved and there's a spiritual lift. There's that supernatural lift that we talked about Sunday morning. And uh, that law of the Spirit counteracts and overcomes the law of sin and frees you and you experience the freedom, the victory of His victorious life. See, that's what happened to Rosalind. She started accessing Jesus, and guess what? He wasn't irritable. <laughs> that's how it works. You access Jesus, he thinks purely. You access Jesus, he doesn't have addictions. Are you with me? You see, you've got to access him. And over time, old, bad, acquired habits can be replaced with new, good, acquired habits through the habit of faith, and thus the experience of grace. And friends, what happens here? you begin to experience revival, transformation. That's how it works. You're accessing the holy life Himself. See, it's the Spirit-filled life of His holiness and His service. It's Him. He's the power. He's the goal. It's Him. And it all comes right, outright, because He never violates Himself. He's never going to violate the law. He's never going to lead us to the flesh. No, it's Him. Now... You're not careful, if you experience that victory, you can get cocky. Especially if you experience it for a long period of time. I've had guys say, You know, I've experienced victory over certain sin that I didn't know was possible, this side of heaven. One guy said, He said, For the last six months, I have experienced victory. He said, I never thought I could see this this side of heaven. And that's glorious. But if you're not careful, you can get a little cocky. <laughs> and you can think, you know, I've had such victory. I I don't even think that the law of sin is even out there anymore and you just stepped out of the basket as you go plummeting back downward. By the way, the higher you soar, the farther you have to fall. Kind of a scary thought. So what's the key? Stay in the basket. Stay in the basket. Keep depending on Christ. Keep abiding in Christ. Because... Every moment, not just some or most, but literally every moment that you abide in Christ and you depend on Him, you depend on His leadership, His power. You access His life, which easily counteracts and overcomes the flesh and the world. There's the overcoming life. His name is Jesus. You access Him. And friends, when you access Him, that's when there's that victory. Now, before you understand this, in other words, if you can say for any length of time at all, and you've never understood what I just mentioned here in these last few minutes, you've probably experienced it. Undoubtedly, you have. This is why some people, when they get saved, like a George Mensik, they have certain sins that fall off immediately. Over time, he got victory over heroin. That took two years. But nonetheless, I gave you that story, and so forth and so on. What's happening is, to get saved, you've got to look at Jesus. And some people keep looking at Jesus. You know what that is? That's staying in the basket. And so as long as they're trusting Jesus, he doesn't have all those bad habits, and so they fall away. But if you stop looking into Jesus... Down you go. But even at that, are there not those moments when you're just out there in the wilderness wandering and you're thinking, oh, Lord, I just can't go on like this. God's got to do something. You know what that is? That's faith. (laughs) You got in the basket and there's a supernatural lift and you think, wow, I had victory. Man, that's a shock. See, regular defeat, surprised by victory. But because you don't understand what's going on, then we're prone to wander right out of the basket. Down we go and we think, okay, now I'm back to my defeat again. I don't know why I had that blip of victory yesterday. (laughs) But when you understand the dynamics that the way you get in the basket, a choice of faith, is the way you stay in the basket. Repeated choices of faith. Walking by faith. Staying in the basket. Keep looking unto Jesus. Keep turning your eyes upon Jesus. Then you keep accessing the spiritual dynamics and that power of the spirit of his life counteracts and overcomes the law of sin and death. I first started using this illustration in 1999. In fact, I gave it at Ambassador Baptist Church my first meeting here. And uh, when I first started using this illustration, my wife said to me one day, she said, you know, John, if you ever go on a hot air balloon ride, I want you to know you'll be taking it by yourself. <laughs> well, it's funny because a couple years later, the church, and Arbor Baptist, where we base out of, decided to surprise us, <laughs> not knowing she'd said that, with a hot air balloon ride. So the whole church is out to see this big event, man. We get there, and it was fascinating. The balloon was flat on the ground, and uh, uh, so they're doing this and doing that. So now it was time to get the balloon blown up, and so they needed the hot air. They had all the ladies of the church come over and start talking. (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) I got out of the basket. Okay, (laughs) They got the balloon filled up, and they finally said, it's time to step in the basket. Now, for me, it's basically one giant step. For my wife, it's two, three small steps. We stepped in the basket. It's also my sister and her husband, the pastor the four of us, and the fifth man, the pilot. So he gave us some final instructions and said, are you ready? We all gibbled, giggled with that nervous giggle and said yes, even if we really weren't. <laughs> and I remember watching his arm reach out and unclip that rope. And I mean, it seemed like in a split second that whoosh, and you're 100 feet in the air, and you just kept rising by a power not your own. And as we took the ride that day, there was no struggle. You go with the wind, and if we go with the wind of the Spirit, we take the struggle out of it. I'm not saying we don't have trials. Obviously, that's a part of our Christian growth. I'm talking about the struggle of trying to live for God without God. And so you go with the wind. And you know, just as we had to choose to get in the basket, we had to keep choosing to stay in the basket. Now, quite frankly, up in the air like that, it was an easy choice. And if we would understand that spiritually, it'd make it a whole lot easier. It'd keep us from the crash and burns. Counteraction. One last thought. We'll just touch this because we'll expand it tomorrow. And that is cooperation. It says, the life which I now live in the flesh, simply in the mortal body. He's just made it clear. Not the I myself life, but the not I, but Christ life. This life which I now live, it's by faith. It's by faith. Now notice, he doesn't say it's by try harder. He doesn't say it's by pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Grit your teeth. No, unsaved moralists preach that message. Tragically, many of us have for the last three decades. In our overreaction to the Holy Spirit. But not to, to the excesses of those who got off on the Holy Spirit, I should say. But the fact of the matter is, it's by faith. And as we saw yesterday, you got saved by faith, you grow by faith. That's how it works. And when you make these choices of faith, Here's the overcoming life that I've been describing, where that life in us is imparted to us. That would be experiencing His holiness. There's your love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All of that will be there. You're partaking of the divine nature. You're growing in grace. It's Christ's life imparted to you. And His life is not going to be the works of the flesh. It just won't be. (laughs) That's the opposite. And then, and I won't deal with this tonight... There can be the overflowing life, not just of Christ's life to you, but Christ's life through you out to others. Now, remember what we saw yesterday morning on the present fact. When it says here, Christ lives in me, that's not a promise, it's a fact. It doesn't say he will live, it says he is living right now. So if he is living in us, if he is giving us his life, what should we do? Thanks be to God, who is giving us the victory, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, if He is giving, we should be taking and saying, "Thank you, you." we're getting it." (laughs) Then you act on it. If all you do is just act, it's just you. You know, let's say there is a you know a, a picture that tempts you to think wrongly. Well, you can go like this in the flesh, but in your heart, you're still over there. Are you with me? That's not victory. That's striving in the flesh. But when you take his life, thank you, Lord, he frees you now to act on it so that when you look the other way, you're free from what you saw as if you didn't see it. That's victory. Same with patience, same with love. That's how it works. I remember after preaching on this one time at a conference, a dear lady was sitting in the back. I paused by her row I could tell, she was in deep thought just to see if she had anything to say. And she looked up with tears in her eyes and said, There's hope. (laughs) Hallelujah, there is. Because of the provision of divine life, His nature implanted into us, His Spirit moving in to bring the very throne life of God into our experience. Tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll deal more with the access